While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Marcus Farrow, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. We're also taking your messages on the WBSM app chat. Uh, Chris will be back later in the week, but tonight we have a uh, special guest co-host, as we do every week, uh, Greg Eaton from the Right Massachusetts podcast. Hey, Greg, how are you? Hey, Marcus. How you doing? Happy to be here. So for people who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I'm a South Shore guy, a uh, little, little bit of a trip down here to, uh, I believe my friend Jess Machado likes to call it the Bayou. Uh, <laughs> so made a little trip down here today, but uh, I co-host a uh, podcast that basically specifically focuses on center-right uh, politics, um, and we have a lot of like uh, local officials and state reps on to talk about what's going on within the state house. Uh, the reason why I kind of picked that niche um, is because it doesn't get a lot of play, and uh, I believe that it's super important uh, to try and help educate people about what's going on at our state house, and uh, you know the, the fact that there is a um, minority party uh, within the state house because uh, kind of uh, if state politics is like a secondary thing for people to talk about then like really secondary is to talk about the minority party within that state party or within that state politics so uh that was kind of why i picked that niche and uh so we usually do a podcast every week um that is dropped on all the major podcasting applications so you can check us out by uh searching right massachusetts on any uh major platform and uh, in your when you're not podcasting, you're helping uh, Republican candidates, right? Yep. Um, so when I'm not running the podcast, I am uh, actively working on Republican candidates um, races from you know all the way from I like to say all the way from uh, um, all the way from U.S. Senate down to constable. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, all gamuts. Um, there actually are some. Aren't there some towns in the Commonwealth that have constables? I think Swansea's one of them. So most towns in uh, Massachusetts still have constables. Uh, there's a difference between the elected ones and the appointed ones. Yeah. Right. Um, so a lot of towns now appoint their constables. Funny story about constable and the word cop. The word cop stands for constable on patrol. I bet oh, you didn't know that. I didn't know that until yeah. just now. Yeah. So there you go. Interesting. So we're, this is South Coast Tonight. Uh, Greg Eaton is our guest host for the evening. So we've got a few issues that we want to talk about. Um, there's a lot going on locally. I know you're familiar with. There's a lot going on in Massachusetts. I know you're familiar with. With one of the things I've been talking about on this program, because New Bedford's sort of at the center of it, is the federal lawsuit that was recently filed against the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. That's the state's education department. 
by a um, by the, the uh, by a few legal ag- advocacy organizations and a vocational education coalition. It's basically advocating for um, a, a a better or what they would define as a better admissions process for VOC students. One that doesn't exclude students with disabilities, students uh, who are English language learners and uh, students of, of, um, of from lower income households. Uh, the statistics have shown that that is the case in Vogue admissions. New Bedford is one of the five or six states in the uh, schools in the state that has been singled out uh, as one of the most um, one of the one of the most, I guess, for lack of a better term at this juncture, discriminatory. Um, so they filed this lawsuit. Um, they want a straight lottery system for all VOC admissions. 27 of 28 schools have opted not to do the 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 the, the full lottery. Some have done a hybrid or a, a qualified lottery like New Bedford VOC has. Greg, what's your thoughts on this? Um, so I will admit that my uh, experience with vocational schools is pretty limited. Um, but I will say that uh, up in Whitman, where I'm from, uh, I know my um, representative on the South Shore Votech uh, School Committee pretty well. Uh, I believe that uh, we do not have a lottery system uh, at South Shore Votech. Yeah. Um, Whitman is a charter member of uh, Whitman Han- or of uh, South Shore Votech, and uh, I believe the way that it works out because we always have to authorize this at town meeting is that every one of our students that wants to go to uh, vocational school at Solskjaer Votech is allowed to go. And it's just a difference in no the, kidding. the way that they pay the bill. Um, so as far as I know, there is not a cap. Actually, there might be a cap on the number of students, but we may not have ever hit the cap. That's so, interesting. Yeah, it is a very interesting system that they use. Um, so you must then you send your sending districts must be for South Shore of Oteca, a, a lot of smaller towns in, in Plymouth County, right? So yeah, um, as far as I know, there's like fourteen towns. Okay. I might be wrong about that number. Um, I would have to text my uh, school committee member to make sure. But uh, now there's a question: Do you elect your school committee member? So the school committee member uh, is a uh, selectman, and I believe it's appointed by the selectman. Uh, okay. As far as I know, it is not an election. Um, I do know that some, uh, in fact, some of them down here elect them, right? So Bristol, uh, uh, Bristol Plymouth does in Taunton. Yeah. I think that's probably a better way to go than the appointment, than rather rather than putting these individuals through this city council process, uh, which was pretty, I think, kind of brutal last time. Uh, the, uh, with with uh, Carol Pimentel here in New Bedford, so um, wait, so so fourteen sending districts. So does that mean there's fourteen members of the school committee? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure. I would assume so. I would assume that every one of the towns gets uh, a member on the school committee, um, okay. and that would be why Whitman only has one member. And all you have to do is just approve a town meeting the number of students that want to go there. That is, as far as I know, um, we've never had an issue. I now that I'm thinking about it, I think that there is a cap. Um, but as far as I know, we've never had an issue as the number of students that wanted to go has ever met the cap. And even if it does, I think that there might be room to like wiggle where like, you know, if a t- another member town doesn't use all of theirs, then you can like petition to use one of their spots. Let's say there is a cap. Um, there's definitely a cap here in New Bedford and it's, it's you know, they have a uh, uh, New Bedford, I think, probably a bigger community population wise. Um, and... Frankly, I think, you know, probably like Whitman Hansen and all of that might 
be at this juncture probably seen as a high, you know, a better school district than maybe New Bedford. Even though New Bedford's made tremendous strides over the last decade, but New Bedford has a cap. Fall River has a cap. They've been called discriminatory. Um, there's other school. There's other uh, Vogue school districts throughout the Commonwealth that have. Um, what would you say in general? Let's say South Shore did have a cap, and to in order to in order to um, not, in order to uh, you know, accept a, a class within that cap, they have an admission system, and that admission system is based on grades, um, attendance, and behavior. Uh, what's your thoughts on this lawsuit overall? Um, so, I mean, I think that there's some merit to looking at some of that stuff. Uh, you don't want to use a spot on a student that's not going to attend the classes and not going to go to that school. Um, however, I mean, I think the fairest way to do it's probably to do it through lottery. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, whether it's a weighted lottery, uh, you could take a look at that, I guess. Um, but you know, if, uh, if it's so like sometimes some of these issues that you just talked about come from the fact that the students kind of checked out on the mainstream media i mean the mainstream uh school like education process yeah and uh would have a more fulfilling process if there was other uh, exactly other ways to learn yeah. um so uh, you know i you know i think that they're if that's the way that they're doing it i think they're in a tough spot um to figure out how to you know get the right students in there but you know um i think that there could also be another option to look at further um funding from the state uh to further expand the charters or the charter school system and the vocational tech, uh vocational school system which i believe is under chapter 71 uh, if I'm not mistaken. So chapter yeah, 70 be. yeah, is uh, your public schools, and then chapter 71 is vocational schools. Well, you know, when I had Eric Lesser on, he was the lieutenant governor candidate, state senator from Longmeadow in Western Mass. One of his primary platforms, and we had talked about it, was um, getting rid of the wait lists at Vogue schools, basically, which would mean expanding the capacity so they could have more students. I mean, one of our city councilors down here had said, uh, one of the city councils down here had said, let's build two Vogue schools. That's not, <laughs> you know, let's build a hundred and give each kid who goes their, their own no pony. School, right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's not going to, that's not going to happen. But um, I think there's probably a way to, ex you know, expand the capacity to expand attendance um, at these schools. And, you know, for me, it's, it's like, like you said, there might be students who may, th may flourish in like a more vocational, uh, you know school experience but there's a lot of these students that aren't even going to going to take one of those traditional trade shops they're just going to college and at that point it's like what's the point of even having this it's then it just becomes an elite prep school for uh students who are already doing well to sort of sequester them from i guess the rest of the student population that the Vogue schools d decided is undesirable so um, so 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. Tell you what, what we'll do is um, we're going to take a break now and we'll be right back. Back to the show. I'm Marcus. We're here with Greg Eaton from uh, Right Massachusetts Podcast, also a uh, Republican um, political consultant. Uh, so, Greg, um, one of the things, you know, I th think we've, we both pretty much agree on the Vogue School admissions issue. Um, I think... You know, we'll have to see how that lawsuit plays out. Um, I wonder if, you know, Governor Healy and Desi is going are are just going to rather than you know 
stick with the status quo, um, change it uh, in order to maybe save themselves some of the embarrassment of perhaps losing a lawsuit. Um, but we'll see. So, um, Greg, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, too, is, uh, you know, there's there's this other issue going on, I think, not necessarily in schools, but in the public sphere with respect to educating children. And it uh, looks like public libraries have become a new battleground um, for the culture war. You have, um, you, have uh, you know, kids going to the libraries for um, events, particularly Drag Queen Story Hour. And there have been literal Nazis protesting um, that Drag Queen Story Hour, shouting obscenities, saying a few different things, um, uh, and saying, uh, you know, that swearing their allegiance allegiance to Adolf Hitler. So um, what's your thoughts on, you know, this poll, this new, pretty much pretty unsettling trend? Um, I mean, obviously, anytime that you have uh, people that are uh, saying that they are Nazis of any way, shape or form, uh, they should be denounced at all points in uh, public discourse. Um, You know, I, I think that they... Uh, don't necessarily represent the values of any any political party, um, whether it's you know um, Republican or Democrat. Okay. Um, so I mean, uh, to me, the the idea that we have people that are you know openly supporting Adolf Hitler uh, here in here in Massachusetts and in the United States seems like a big problem just in general, um, regardless of what they're trying to to demonstrate against. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, like so when the when the, when they when they came to Fall River and they started protesting, a lot of there was a lot of talk about how the effect that Drag Queen Story Hour will have on the kids, right? Oh, how this is you can't expose this to kids. How can kids be exposed to a guy wearing a article of clothing that I don't think conforms to my standards of what clothing certain people should wear? Um, but not a lot was said by the opposers of Drag Queen Storytime about what um, exposures to Nazis will do uh, to kids when they're shouting obscenities like um, F-word, kill yourselves, right? And saying and swearing their allegiance to Hitler in public and wearing masks and adorning dark clothing and jackboots and all of that. I have... I don't know. I personally think that the 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 worry for traumatizing or unduly influencing kids is probably with the Nazis and not with the drag queens. Um, I mean, I, I think that there's probably a case for both cases here. Um, you know, I'm not sure that exposing kids to either side of this at a young age is particularly a uh, a great thing for uh, young children to be uh, exposed to. But you know, I mean, I think that you're probably right that it's more dangerous to have them exposed to Nazis than it is to drag queens. Um, to a guy wearing a dress. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, one of them's, you know, probably uh, not something that most people are going to do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the other one should be denounced at every turn. Yes. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. By all major, you know, thought-provoking people. Uh, so... I mean, and now there's this trend about banning books. Um, there's certain books that they want to ban. There's books about gender, books about race that they don't think children should be exposed to. 
Is the Republican Party in Massachusetts, and I guess my question would be, is this the direction you want to see the Republican Party go in, is to start getting into this stuff about what books children are going to be exposed to at a certain age, sort of the CRT, uh, transgender panic um, that Ron DeSantis, I think, has made a national profile on? Um, so I think that there's a difference between public schools and school libraries. Uh, and I think that you also brought up a key point here that uh, there's a difference between uh, age groups. So, um, you know, I think that having age appropriate material for uh, kids is an important thing that we should be paying attention to. As far as like, do I necessarily want to see the Republican Party uh, doubling down on any of these efforts? No, I want to see us doubling down on getting candidates elected. Um, How do you think that's going to happen in Massachusetts? Getting candidates elected? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that you have to start at the ground level. It's not like this isn't rocket science. And unfortunately, you hear this a lot from people um, that makes you actually start to think that maybe it is rocket science. Because if everyone tells you it's not rocket science, but yet we can't be successful at it. like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the big thing here is to focus on local issues. Uh, issues that are kitchen table issues mm -hmm. and to worry about those things. And then when you get people elected and you can prove that they can govern, then you can, you know, make a path forward for the Republican party here. Uh, this isn't much different as far as I'm concerned than, uh, the democratic party was in the 1940s. Um, so in the 1940s, when Tip O'Neill was the minority leader, uh, the Republic, uh, the democratic party was not, uh, the powerhouse that it is now. And Tip O'Neill was actually, uh, I would say one of the more important players in making the Democratic Party into what it is today. So, so um, the minority leader in the Massachusetts House is what you're saying? Yeah. Right? Okay. So he was yeah, the minority. Congress, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was yeah, the minority yeah, yeah. leader uh, in the Massachusetts State House uh, in the 40s, and then I think he took over as the Speaker of House in Massachusetts in the mid 50s. Makes sense because I think Tip O'Neill had JFK's old seat. Right. I think that's I, th I think I think that's JFK's seat and JFK was elected in 47. He ran for Senate in 52 or 56. I can't remember 52 or 56. I can't remember one of the two. So I just read Tip O'Neill's book, Speaker of the House. Um, and so I should probably know the answer to that question off the top of my head, <laughs> yeah. Marcus. But uh, I do not know it off the top of my head. However, I will say that uh, if anyone is out there and interested in uh, any level of politics, uh, Tip O'Neill's book is an excellent read, and uh, it does not necessarily have to be uh, a partisan read. However, I did find it interesting, uh, his take on uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, so the final chapter is about Ronald Reagan, and uh, you always hear about like the great relationship that Tip O'Neill had with Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was very interesting to read Tip's actual thoughts about uh, <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Tell us. Well, I mean, he definitely uh, definitely didn't hold any punches back about, you know, the partisan nature of the, the war that was going on uh, in Washington, D.C. and the policies that uh, Ronald Reagan was putting forth and the fact that Tip O'Neill did not think that those uh, policies had the best interests of America at hand. And uh, so, I mean, that's uh, that's basically the last chapter of the book. Um, but. I would definitely check it out if you're at all interested in politics. I feel like he conceded a bit too much to be that um, critical of him. I feel like he really, you know, where he didn't have to, right? He didn't have to concede to him as much as he did. He had majorities, I think, in both houses most of the time. 
Um, he definitely Reagan never had a Republican majority in, in the House. He, I think he had the Senate. For, uh, I think in the eight, I think eighty he took over the House, but I could be wrong about that. Okay, maybe he did. Um, but so who? So you want to focus on kitchen table issues? What does that look like in Massachusetts? There's been because I think Republicans are losing those issues too right now. You've got the millionaires tax that was just passed. Um, even the driver's license bill, you might consider a bit of a kitchen table issue. What are some of the kitchen table issues that you think Republicans can, can win, uh, can win? So, I mean, uh, primarily I would focus on the economy. I'd focus on, uh, inflation. I'd focus on, you know, how much, how much more it's costing people to live their everyday lives. Um, and you know, how are, how are the Democrat, how are the government programs in place, um, helping out? to offset some of those those problems yeah and you think that the republican party has failed to do that in massachusetts thus far i think that they have failed to make the case uh appropriately to the people uh uh, to the people of massachusetts and i think that you can see that in our election results unfortunately do you have any idea of like i know it's a little bit you know too far ahead but 2026 do you have any idea of who could be a good gubernatorial candidate yeah i mean that's the question that uh plagues all republicans i think um i mean if chris doty wanted to take another crack at it i think that that would be an interesting uh okay. run um you know uh you know we we mentioned a, a certain mayor uh sean o'connell that yeah. might be uh governing in one of the uh listening bodies of this uh, this uh oh for sure we definitely have some taunting listeners i had sean o'connell on a couple weeks ago she seemed to not want to take any uh any comment make any commentary on the statewide issues at all she said people think of me as a you know people don't think of me as a republican anymore people think of me as sean o'connell the mayor of taunton the lifeline life lifetime tautonian is what she actually said so um, but she could be a viable candidate. She's the mayor of a gateway city. Uh, she was a state rep, so she has that experience. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, she governs with a, a city count. Totten's kind of an interesting, I think, microcosm for probably what Republicans want because they have a majority Republican city council and a Republican mayor. So I think that's probably maybe that's might be where where uh, where to start and having a gateway city mayor could could get some votes down here as well. So um, but so you're you're saying Chris Doty, maybe Sean O'Connell, nobody, nobody else really comes to mind. Uh, Senator uh, Ryan Fatman is another possibility. Uh, He's from Worcester County. Um, Mm hmm. He's a, he getting a bit of trouble. So we're going to see how that, that all plays <laughs> out. Um, you know, that that could be something that uh, unfortunately could uh, submarine it before it even starts. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, and not a deep bench, though. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that is a fair, fair assessment and that it's a fair criticism. And, uh, you know, it's something that uh, people like myself have been working on the last couple of years you know, to limited results, um, admittedly. So, well, you got Warren and, and Warren's up for reelection next year. Markey's up in 26. They both said they're running again. Are those same people also Senate candidates or would you be looking somewhere else? Uh, I'd probably look in somewhere else. Um, but I don't know exactly who I'd be trying to, uh, 
yeah. push into those those races. Scott Brown's not walking through that door, right? right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Dan Winslow is a guy who's back in Massachusetts. Uh, he's living down on the Cape now. He previously ran in 2013. Um, so, and now he, I believe he's the chair of the New England Law Foundation. I might okay. have the wrong uh, organization, but he's uh, involved in one of those organizations now. Okay. So Senate, you'd be looking somewhere else, but what type of, um, so you're, you're looking for, I mean, for as far as what's the model for what type of candidate you want to see, would you be looking at Charlie Baker as the model or would you be looking at somebody else as the model candidate? So this is always, this is one of these questions that people ask when you're like in a debate, are you a Charlie Baker Republican? Are you a Donald Trump Republican? Mm -hmm. Uh, And usually the, the can't, the, the answer that the candidate gives is like, I'm a Greg Eaton Republican. I'm a whatever candidate Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Pablum. Right. Um, So, I mean, the thing is that like putting people in a, a, corridor of like what part of the party they're coming from i think is problematic um you know uh, charlie baker had why wide stream um crossover appeal Mm -hmm. to both sides uh the question that i think is and i think that this is a legitimate question of charlie baker uh and all former governor candidates uh when they've tried to run for something else uh usually it doesn't end well for them um so Mm. the question becomes do they have wide crossover appeal because of who they are or because of the position that they're running for? Um, and are people thinking differently about who they want to elect as their U.S. senator than they are thinking about who they want to elect as their governor? So you don't think Charlie Baker would be a strong Senate candidate? I think he'd be a really strong Senate candidate. I think that, uh, but I don't think you'd ever do it, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, I think that he is... He's uh, got a great job. Yeah, now. I think he landed uh, on his feet. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't want to say that you would never do it, um, but uh, I'm not sure that it would be something that would be in his wheelhouse uh, to do, you know, regardless of whether or not he had landed uh, on his feet at the NCAA. So, yeah, it seems like a lot. He's 67. Right. When are you going to start going down to Washington now? You know, right. you're not going to have any chairmanships. You're not going to have any committee, like really good committee appointments. And that usually takes like 10 to 12 years, honestly, to build up. And right. Right, it doesn't make sense because he'd probably be a term or two and he'd be out anyway. So, right. Um, okay. So, so 508-996-0500. Tell you what, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Four Americans have a disability. I'm one of them. I'm also a working mom who cares deeply about making sure every child with a disability thrives by getting their access needs met. We've got a trusted ally by our side. Easter Seals provides children and families the foundation for lifelong success through early learning programs, skills training, and prep for college and career. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Join us at EasterSeals.com. HIV is not a crime, or it shouldn't be. People living with HIV can do and live fully healthy lives without risk of transmitting the virus to others. But a different fear remains. In 30 states, Americans are being imprisoned due to their HIV status. It's time for the laws to catch up to science. Join the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation to modernize outdated HIV criminalization laws. Go to etaf.org. 
HIV is not a crime. Campaign funded through the support of Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Marcus McCarthy. South Coast Tonight is the place to react to all of the day's news and where they make some news of their own. Back to the talk now on WBSM. Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. So one of the uh, app chat messages we're getting is some someone's asking, um, Sununu or DeSantis for 2024? Uh, and then parentheses, never Trump, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. So, so uh, which, what's, your, what's your take on that? Uh, I think that Chris Sununu has an interesting road ahead of him, uh, especially considering the, the New Hampshire primary is no longer uh, probably yeah, going to be the, yeah. first, uh, the first primary in the nation. Uh, yeah. So that'll be a real interesting thing to see whether or not it comes through. Um, for me, neither one of them is announced. However, uh, if I was to pick someone right now to pick uh, to back, it would be Ron DeSantis. Why is that? Uh, I think that he has the best chance of winning uh, both the nomination. Uh, he can bring, you know, the uh, both factions of the Republican Party kind of together uh, and coalesce behind it. He has a strong track record in Florida of being able to govern and uh, put forth um, policies that you know people can can work with and so i think that he'd be uh the best best candidate thus far uh, i'm not taking anything away from governor Christanunu, who's done a great job in new hampshire uh, i just don't know that new hampshire translates to the rest of the country quite like florida does doesn't desantis have the same problem of focusing on the non-kitchen table issues that we talked about like the you know like the the don't say gay bill banning African studies wanting a, uh, a registry on transgender students for for the for public schools doesn't he doesn't he have those same issues so the things that get media temp- attention uh, I would agree with you there however mm-hmm. I would tell you that I think he won his last race like sixty forty so very clearly the people of Florida sure. feel very passionately about the fact that uh, the, he's leading Florida in the right direction, and uh-huh. they wouldn't feel that way if uh, they were economically hurting. He does those things for the media attention, though, right? He doesn't. It's not like oh, those are the things that the media is paying. To. He does it because he can get media attention because he's building his profile. Um, so, wouldn't that? Do you think that'd be irksome to you know more swing voters that he would need? Because we know he can he can get the support from the Republican Party, and Florida's become a you know, pretty has become a more Republican state over time. Uh, although when he first got elected, it was really close against Gilliam. We didn't know until a week or two later. Yeah. So, I mean, I think <laughs> what the, happened to Gilliam? <laughs> didn't, didn't he run? Hasn't he run like three times? Is, am I thinking of the right no. candidate? No, no. You're thinking of Beto. I think okay. maybe. Well, no, Gilliam. Um, I think that he's run on like a couple of different parties. At this Gilliam. Point. Was caught standing over a man who had overdosed, I think, to death on um, on methamphetamine. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, wasn't doing great uh, after that. It was a close, but what I was saying was it was a close election in 2018 with him and DeSantis. And actually, Gilliam was projected to win at one point. Uh, a lot of the pollsters, 538, and all that, were saying uh, Gilliam, uh, Gilliam's going to win. And Bill Nelson's going to get reelected, and then we saw Rick Scott and uh, and Ron DeSantis win pretty close elections. So um, yeah, no, he's definitely pulled the. I think pulled away. I, you know, for Trump, Florida really hurt his reelection chance. I mean, uh, uh, not Florida. COVID really hurt his reelection chances. What I think is interesting about DeSantis is he took it as an opportunity to make himself more popular. 
Yeah, no, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. That, and I might kill some people doing it. Uh, that Ron DeSantis's um, stance and the way that he handled COVID, um, although it may have been uh, in a s- similar fashion that <laughs> yeah. that Donald Trump wanted to handle it, um, I think that he did uh, distinguish himself kind of from the field um, in a a look at the presidential field uh, in twenty twenty four. Whether or not that was like part of his calculus when he was doing it, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, you don't know who's who's advising him, who's and whether or not they're thinking that far down the road. Um, so. What do you like for a VP pick for Ron DeSantis? That is a really interesting question. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Nikki Haley, I think is going to get into this race shortly. Um, yeah, I, no one knows who Nikki Haley is, right. except for you and me. <laughs> well, my the my first thing there is that. Uh, two candidates coming from the southeastern part of the United States probably isn't the best move. Um, yeah, I mean, who would be a, a good VP pick? Is Chris Sununu trying to set himself up to be a VP pick? Yeah. Uh, is Larry Hogan, who has been mentioned as a, a possible candidate for U.S. president? And Come sh- on, dude. I'm sure no one in the audience knows who Larry Hogan is. Larry Hogan's a governor of Maryland. He's like Charlie Baker, but a few miles south of us. Uh, no, I don't think so. I doubt it. Uh, I would be surprised if Larry Hogan was the was the. Maybe if they think they can bring in a more moderate crowd with with Hogan. Now I'm talking myself into it. Mm, yeah, see, see, <laughs> see how that works, Marcus. So you think you think Larry Hogan or Nikki Haley? I guess, like I said, I don't know if anybody knows who they are, uh, but it makes it makes sense. Nikki Haley kind of makes sense from the standpoint of, and uh, you know, do they want to basically make their own Kamala, right, Kamala Harris? Um, do they want to try to make more inroads with um, uh, voters in communities of color, even though they've actually made some pretty good inroads with uh, Hispanics? Specifically uh, in, like, the Florida area. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's take a break. The WBSM app is every... Hey, welcome back. We're with Greg Eaton, our special guest co-host for the evening. We were talking about um, presidential candidates. You're, you're a Ron DeSantis guy, uh, it seems, as of now. Um, could that change? Oh yeah, obviously. I mean, uh, you know, you're going to listen to the cases that the candidates make, and you know, you're, you're going to pick the candidates that you think a has the best chance to win, and b has the you know represents your thoughts and your values. You know, yeah. I, I think kind of in that order too, uh, which I think probably separates me a lot from some other Republicans who might switch those two things. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for me, uh, the ability to win at the ballot box is probably the number one most important issue. I think you guys have learned that the hard way. Right. right? And, uh, you know, whether or not they, I, whether or not I agree with them a hundred percent of the time, uh, is, uh, less important to me. Um, 80% my friend is more important than, uh, you know, a, any kind of, uh, what I'll call, um, like personality type test that I use to, you know, gauge my support for a candidate. Did you support Amy Carnavali over Jim Lyons? Uh, I did not have a vote in that race, so I did not take a public stance. <laughs> okay, you're not a candidate for office, so I'm not gonna I'm not, I'm not gonna harangue you on that answer. But um, what are you expecting from Amy Carnavale? Um, You know, with any hope, uh, the Republican Party um, will start to focus on. The issues that are important to the people of Massachusetts, um, and you know, we can start making some headway in the legislature. I think that that's the thing that uh, is the most important thing to the Republican Party. Getting killed, 
right. legislator. It's like three senators. Right. And there were seven just not that long ago, which isn't like seven's like a non zero amount of senators, right? Three is basically a zero amount of senators. Right. You know? Um, you know, the the problem in the state's Senate is definitely uh emblematic of the entire problem uh state well because if you get a if you got seven senators you could whip some blue dog democrats you could you could certainly and you had charlie baker there right you could certainly start to get a veto proof uh, like a a a veto a a, a majority at least enough people to make the sustain a veto override right i mean a veto to sustain charlie baker's veto or at least make the majority party take Whatever your criticism of is a little more seriously than they are at three. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, if you can get, if you're at seven and you can get five, yeah. you know, blue dog Democrats <laughs> and, and the, the majority party now has to be like, oh, well, I mean, maybe they have a legitimate case here about whatever their issue is. So there's a, I, who was it? And Mike, I think it was Mike Rogers when I had him on. He talked mm-hmm. about how they had, uh, they have caucus meetings with mm-hmm. the Democrats in the Senate. It's kind of mean, isn't it? <laughs> Thirty-seven people with three outside. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, the the funny thing about Poor the, Bruce Tar. The funny thing about the uh, state senate is that at one point it was forty to nothing Republicans. Wow! And uh, right after the Civil War, so okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. It, it, take that with a grain of salt, but mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's a chance that, unfortunately, uh, when some of these um, Republican legislators and state senators retire, uh, I think that there might be a chance that we see it go the other way around. Um, and mm-hmm. and it's it, because because that's exactly what's happened. Bruce Tarr uh, is coming from an area that you know Gloucester is not super red, mm-hmm. um, but he is able to hold on to that seat. Because he's been there for a while. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, Patrick O'Connor uh, comes from Weymouth. 